I want to talk to each and every one of y'all a little bit different this time. I'm, I'm not going to have a guest. And the reason for that is, is we're going to go a little bit over like some of the toxins and the stuff that Saddam did during the Gulf War. And so, you know, that way we're not going to jump around. I definitely want to go into, first off, mines. You know, the type of mines that he used, you know, not just on, not talking about IEDs or ground mines or anything like that. I'm talking about mines like the Navy would have to deal with. And there are several types that he had out there, but the two most common out there were uh, contact mines, which them are the ones that actually when your ship is floating and you're moving along and you hit it, it explodes. It can do a whole lot of damage. But the bigger one would be the influ uh, influent mines, and that's the underwater mines. And that's the ones that when a boat is traveling, the vibration of it, it it's like anchored underneath as a chain. The chain pops up and it comes up, and some of them have propellers on them, some of them don't. It comes up, it can do a lot of damage. But what I found interesting is, is they're only talking about two Navy ships out there that were hit by our mind, in which I, I, I don't think totally that is correct. Because they're talking about the, the Tripoli and the uh, Prince, uh, Princeton. I think they forgot about the Andrew J. Higgins. They also hit a mind, in which we know we saw when we pulled up by them, the hole that it put inside that they hit a mind. And so that kind of struck me. It's a USNS, a United States Navy ship, but it has civilians on it too. So for educational purpose, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of go through this along with the burn pits. So people are more educated about what all was out there. Because a lot of people have asked me, you know, I know you guys are talking about the problems that y'all had, the problems y'all went through and the stuff that y'all, you know, have experienced. But they wanted to get more in depth on people like, you know, what people have experienced while we're out there as far as what all did we see. I don't know much about the landmines and IEDs because, of course, I was on board ship. But on our ships, everybody had lookouts for them. And, you know, you hope you didn't have to go through a minefield. To me, I think the above ground, the one that floats in the water mine, the, the contact mine, really and truly... I don't think that worried me as much as the ones that were down below us because you wouldn't have any idea they're there. At least you get a shot at looking at them, you know, by what's floating in the water. The, them other ones you don't. It just comes up, hits you, and they can flood a ship. So, you know, hopefully somebody gets that straight where I saw where there was only two ships out there that actually had what they consider mine attacks. You know, I do know that Andrew J. Higgins was also a ship out there that did strike a mine. Uh, I'm going to get in a little bit of the burn pit locations. So in the areas where the burn pit was, and the reason I'm getting into this is because I'm going to get a little bit more detailed. You know, kind of like what the, the Navy has and down the VA.gov, they have down that the burn pit locations are Iraq, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, and Bahrain. I also believe that, you know, it wasn't just, you know, the burn pit was in just in them location because there were several locations that we were burning stuff. And, you know, 
course, we burn the toxic chemicals. We burn the batteries, you know, human waste or uranium, uh, all kinds of chemical warfare weapons. I mean, just all kinds of stuff out there that a lot of them guys were exposed to. But the one thing that's not mentioned a lot, which needs to be mentioned about, is the oil rig fires. Now, the oil rig fires is what I found fascinating, is because there were up to 600 to 732 oil wells set on fire. And if you could have just imagined how big this was, it was just incredible. Almost everywhere you went, there was an oil rig on fire. But what a lot of people don't know is, you know, except for, of course, the people who were there, was Saddam decided that he was going to pour oil into the Persian Gulf down by Kuwait. So that way, if any ships coming in through there or anything, they can catch on fire. So what he ended up doing was, is he opened up eight tankers. He also opened up two terminals and a tank field that was spilled into the Gulf. So if you can imagine, that was over 11 million gallons of oil spreading through, through the uh, Persian Gulf. And on top of that, each day after that, he put in 6,000 barrels a day into the Persian Gulf. I mean, it's, it was incredible. I don't know what his logic was behind that. You know, there are some people that are speculating when he did the oil rig fires is that what he did was is he could have mixed some type of biological chemical warfare with it as he blew it up, which nobody knows 100%. I don't know 100%. That's just speculation. But I will say this for everybody that just imagine the smoke just from the oil rig fires covered 1.3 million square miles. Not just the Navy, not you know, it was everybody out there was breathing all these toxins that was released from these fires. I mean, I live close to where there's a whole bunch of, you know, like shell refineries and stuff like that. When, when they explode, they catch on fire. They move all the residents out. Well, we were there the whole time while all these were going out. It took them years to put this stuff out and to clean this mess up. So imagine what all we digested when we were out there just, you know, working every day. So, you know, you, you, you can't imagine it unless you were literally there. But 1.3 million square miles, that's a lot. And that's just smoke. That's like a lot of the guys were like, man, I remember when there were days that looked like nights and hazy. I mean, I know when we went back to Southern Watch, and that's when they were starting to put a lot of the oil rigs out. Just when you pulled in the Persian Gulf, it was like you, there was a black smog. You're driving through there. And the first thing you're thinking is, crap, we're back in the Persian Gulf. I mean, it's just unbelievable the amount of stuff of what Saddam did out there. So, you know, so I, I decided I wanted to get into a little bit of research and look up, you know, different types of stuff that Saddam had out there as far as like chemical warfare, you know, because believe it or not, there is a lot of naysayers who weren't probably even born then that says Saddam never had 
biological chemical warfare. Well, I can tell you you're 100% wrong. Most of the guys who, who listen to this podcast will tell you you're 100% wrong. He did have chemical warfare out there. And the type of stuff that he had, which surprised me, was venomous Agent X. You know, that's what a lot of guys were talking about, pesticides. and But how Saddam spread this stuff was actually a very ingenious. So I read a few articles, and I want to go with all y'all on this. So I want y'all to kind of bear with me. Saddam created something that was like a generator aerosol. It could be put on helicopters. And what he did is, during Iraq, when the war began, he flew over Iraq, spraying chemical warfare. Tiny amounts. I mean, it's so tiny that, yeah, it won't kill you right on the spot, but later on in life, it will affect you. So the guys who were on the ground had experienced this kind of stuff. And so years later, with the winds, with, you know, mixed in with the oil, the burn pits and everything, it it did a lot of damage to a lot of guys out there. And along with the anthrax vaccine, which I'll be getting into that a little bit more too. But I kind of want to go over a few little things with y'all on this. You know, Venomous Agent X, which I was like, you know, what the heck is that? It's an odorless agent. Everything, but it comes in contact with your skin. You got to immediately, you know, take off your clothes. You got to do freshwater wash downs. And so that's one of the ones that I think Saddam preferred using. And then the next one he preferred using, believe it or not, was anthrax, in which we all know about anthrax that was there. So when I was in, I was always curious about a few things. One of the things I was curious with. It's like, you know, what do, what, how many shots did we have for the anthrax? You know, some people out there claiming that we didn't have enough shots, so they used other stuff to make Saddam think that, you know, the, everybody who was out there in the per- Persian Gulf was covered, so he wouldn't use it. So, you, you know, which I, I don't know if he ever used that on us, but I, I will say, you know, anthrax is, you know, a very dangerous you know, chemical warfare. But when the guys took the vaccine, there is an estimated that they think 35,000 troops died just from the anthrax vaccine. There, that's, that's what they're thinking. This is VA.gov. You know, don't just take my word for it. Y'all do your research on everything I'm telling y'all. But I'm telling you that anthrax has caused a lot of damage to the troops. So if the anthrax possibly could have killed some of our troops, one, one is way too, too many. 35,000 is a whole hell of a lot. So these guys that everybody who took these anthrax, the booster shots, there's some guys that took five shots, which I don't quite understand why they gave us so many shots. You know, we also talked about it. I mean, Y'all heard, heard Roy. He took the same stuff we did. So out there. But one of the other gas that Saddam liked to use was Syrian gas. And this is a lot of things that 
a, a lot of guys feel he possibly did more than anything is Syrian. All these are nerve agents. Everything I'm reading to y'all is a nerve agent. And, you know, of course, sarin gas, it doesn't have any odor. It's tasteless. Small doses, you, you know, can kill a person instantly. But what's funny is, like, anthrax is not man-made. Now, when I say not man-made, they take it from, you know, anthrax spores and they do all their chemical stuff with it. So they make it produce it to where they can use it as WMD. But sarin gas, it's man-made. There's, you know, no other way to explain it. Now, most of these that have been used during the Gulf War, believe it or not, come from scientists from Germany. So back in the day, this was, you know, we all know all about the Germans, how back then they used, you know, gas and all this. They experimented. They, they became very familiar with how to do it. And the United States had probably took some of them guys in and taught us how to make it. And all over the world, everybody probably had a scientist learning how to make this stuff. So the other one is mustard gas or considered sulfur gas. You know, that causes severe burning, you know, to the skin, to the eyes, respiratory. You know, the only way you can end up getting that in, in your system to really it affects you inhalation or in, uh, ingesting it. So the, the mustard gas, also known as, you know, sulfur gas, you know, I don't believe he used it, but he did have his hands on it. So everything I'm reading is what Saddam had in weapons of mass destruction. So for all you naysayers out there that said he didn't have any of this, you know, it, it's even on CDC's website, even proven he had it. New York Times. All of them have agreed this man had weapons of mass destruction. The other one, in which I'm hoping I'm saying it right, it's a nerve agent, Taboon. With you come in contact with it, you die in minutes. It's probably the most lethal in his arsenal from what I studied up on. So one of the reasons why I'm bringing all this up, because, you know, this isn't taught in history class. But the thing I found really interesting is, is almost every one, like anthrax, all of them, even though in there, they're, uh, I don't know how to put it, their causes and symptoms, that's the word, symptoms, you know, runny nose, watery eyes, you know, small pinpoint pupils, you know, eye pain, blurred vision, drooling, excessive sweating, coughing, chest uh, tightness. Rapid breathing, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, and abdominal pain. Increased urination, confusion, dizziness, weakness, headache, slow and fast heart rate, low and high blood pressure. And right there I'm reading is just Syrian. But you go back and you look at all these symptoms, they're in, almost all of them are identical. But what's weird is not one of them I see here that I read is some of the causes that some of us have. So I, I did a lot of research. And yes, it messes with your nerves, but it causes all these symptoms. But it, except for, like I seen on Gulf War uh, Illness page, the, a lot of guys are showing their muscles twitching. And, you know, like, does anybody have these? And there's a lot of guys who are posting this stuff 
Syrian gas is the only thing that I saw where it talks about muscle twitching. And I see a lot of the veterans that are posting, they talk about this and they don't know where it's coming from. Leg cramping and their muscles just spasm. So that could actually be one of the causes out there. It could be he could use small traces of Syrian gas, which wouldn't surprise me. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about more about the anthrax vaccine, but y'all and, you know, in the P-tabs, which, you know, most of us are in agree- agreement that the vaccines and stuff, that, to me, they change up these vaccines. It's no different than what the vaccines that we are given to today, as far as, um, you, you know, with the coronavirus, you, you know, the J&J, you, you know, Moderna. So Pfizer and then, you know, Merck's coming out with these pills, you know, they're emergency use. Well, they were emergency use too, whenever we were in, you know, during Desert Storm. And so, you know, you don't know what the side effects are, but, you know, one way you can go about looking at it, which this is the way I'm looking at it, is back then, yeah, they didn't know a whole lot about the stuff that they were giving us. But at that time, they thought it was better than us if he did use Syrian gas, that this would save our lives and deal with consequences later. So, you know, that's kind of how I look at it. Other people don't, but that's just how I look at it. That's just my opinion. It's not a professional opinion. It's my opinion. So, you know, going over the times of everything that I can remember out there and why I talk so much about the burn pit and the Gulf War registry, because it's important. Everybody, if you're just new to the program, go back and listen to, I think it's 13, where I'm talking to Jimmy. And Jimmy's telling you that, you know, it's certain things called, instead of calling it, it's not, first it was Gulf War Syndrome, then it was Gulf War Illness, and then it's called, you know, things change its names. You know, Veterans Day's coming up, and, you know, I have to do speech at church, and I'm not quite sure exactly what I will say. I I know what I want to say, but it's church. So I'm going to have to kind of really think about it. But I I want more people to be educated on what they say out there as far as if they've never been in the military. Because I know there's history teachers, and I know there's scientists and all this that have never been out in the Gulf War. Well, if you're a history teacher, Go to our websites, go in there and look at everything the Gulf War vets were exposed to. I mean, y'all talk about Vietnam. Y'all talk about, you know, World War II, World War I, the, you know, Korean War. But the Gulf War is not talked about enough. So that's where I want to educate the people who weren't out there. You know, just because it was a really fast war doesn't mean it was a very fast war, you know, because a lot of the vets are still having problems. So in their minds, the war's still there. I mean, if you have what I have, neuropathy, if you have PTSD, I mean, digestive system problems, any of that stuff, the problems are still there. And ladies and gentlemen, if you could take one thing away from anything I say in this program, Every war is fought differently, but they're all the same. We want, a good, our, we want to get our guys home safe and healthy. 
and all in one piece. We don't want to bring them back into a box. We don't want to bring them back, you, you know, messed up. We want them to be 100% healed. And that's what we as veterans are trying to do is the generations that are coming up can look out for and understand, you know, the Viet, I learned through the Vietnam guys. And I'm hoping the Iraqi freedom guys are learning through us. I hope the people in Afghanistan are looking through the Iraqi freedom, you know, so on and so on and so on. Because we all go through the same thing. We all just want to come home safe. We want to be back with our families in one piece. Just take a moment when Veterans Day is coming up. Thank every veteran that you know. Hug them. Hug their spouses. Because the spouses are what's very important to a veteran and their family members. You know, that's their support group. And for the ones who don't have anybody out there, hug them. Talk to them. Let them know you're there for them. And for any veteran out there that needs to talk to, of course, you can go, go to my email at K, at, sorry, at Kevin Simon at GoForSideEffects.com. Email me. Talk to me. I'm there for you. If you have questions, I don't know. Well, let, let me say it like this. I don't claim to know everything. I just claim to know what is going on with me. That's why I pull veterans onto this site and let them tell their stories because we want to educate everybody. I want to thank everybody for listening to this program and I hope y'all have a great weekend. Y'all please go to my website at goal4sideeffects.wordpress.com or email me at kevinsimon at goal4sideeffects.com. And please help support this podcast and the veterans by clicking on the link below.